The hangovers have worn off. We're still not quite sure if it was real or if it was a dream. Um, but this is episode 52 of the Inside Ellen Road podcast with me, Phil Hay, and to my left, Joe Urquhart. Um, still rubbing our eyes after quite a night um, on Friday, Ellen Road. Not quite the performance of a generation from Leeds United. Um, there were some, some very good ones within that uh, time frame, but the best performance many of us can remember, um, the best performance I've seen from a, a Leeds team live, and without any question, I don't think the, the best performance anyone's seen since they were relegated from the Premier League um, in 2004. Joe, you're a lot younger than me. Um, where does that rank? Number one, I think. Absolutely number one. A complete performance from start to finish and literally start 16 seconds in and that sort of set the tone didn't it that that goal from Pablo was of absolute quality and just the whole performance from every single player in every department was just about as much as you can probably get out of out of a team and it's probably the first time under Bielsa that everything and literally everything has clicked and that's that's the performance you get it was Ellen Road was rocking. It was probably one of the best atmospheres, maybe alongside Derby, um, this this season. But the performance was just I don't know. It was almost breathtaking. I don't really like like sort of using massive descriptive words because obviously sometimes Phenomenal. they get lost. Yeah, they get lost in the ether a bit. But it really was one of those nights where if you weren't at Ellen Road, I think you probably struggled to grasp just how well they played on and off the ball. Sort of being able to see everyone. Sort of one to eleven. I mean, Alioski was playing everywhere, wasn't he? He was almost in net at one point. It was just nuts. But overall, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think any other performance sort of immediately springs to mind. Um, the, the only, one... the only um, reaction to a goal that springs to mind, uh, comparable to Hernandez's after sixteen seconds, would be Beckio's in the playoff semi final against Millwall. It's the, it's, it's always a, it's always a good atmosphere at Ellen Road. Even in the, even in the times when it's, it's hard, there's always a bit of a buzz. There's always a, a bit of a crackle. And, and when it gets going, it's, it's like very few other places. Um, but that, that explosion, the people. I mean, the people around us in the press box were, were going bonkers because nobody had even sat down by that point. People, mm. a lot of people hadn't even got into their seats, um, and it was so quick and. And so rapid on a night which he felt was so critical and in which he knew the first goal was probably going to be crucial for either side that I don't think anybody anybody could quite believe it. Um, we'll, we'll go through it properly, um, little by little. Um, we, we haven't had a podcast for a couple of weeks, so we should probably go back over um, QPR and, and Bolton and, and obviously have a good look ahead to Bristol City at the weekend, which is another another crucial game. Another another meeting with a side who, are in, who up until recently have been in very good form and, and are, are themselves in, in the mix for the playoffs. Um, Bolton we can probably skirt over pretty quickly as a deserved win, routine win, unspectacular really, against a side who have got all sorts of problems. Um, and not even just to do with the, what is a, a really mediocre Bolton team. Um, the, in the grip of what looks like a, a takeover, they've got an owner there who seems to be absent most of the time. Um, absent-minded uh, for for the rest of it, couldn't get into the training ground yesterday because it was closed. The story was no food, no supplies, no money. Really, um, everything stacking up against them. And the long and short of that is that really, um, both clubs are going to come out of it with a, a fine of about twenty thousand pounds for the scuffle in the second half. They've, they've both been charged by the football association, and, and Leeds have pleaded guilty to that. Um, and Phil Parkinson will get a touchline ban for the big punch-up um, on the touchline uh, just after Gianni Alioski scored the winner and I guess that was the that was kind of the highlight of the day really wasn't it there was nothing nothing that special about the game at all just just a routine win 
yeah, the game sort of on a whole was sort of devoid of quality, wasn't it? And I think it was kind of summed up by Alioski's winner that was a cross, wasn't it? Obviously, Parkinson getting into it with Janssen was probably the most interesting part of the afternoon. But like you say, Leeds fans don't need to be told about having ownership issues, do they? I mean, Leeds have had plenty over the years and it's quite sad, really, what's going on over there, to be honest. Yeah, um, and not been particularly managed, uh, well managed by anybody. Um, I don't think the EFL have, have done enough there. And, and it does... I mean, the training ground issue in particular has um, t- takes you back to the the summer of two thousand and fourteen when they they mothballed Thorpe Arch under Chilino for yeah, like a long period the of time. Pool I think the swimming pool drained of its own accord on the basis <laughs> that it it just wasn't maintained. And and as somebody who was up there said, the tiles ended up dropping off the wall because they'd been under the pressure of the water for so long that as soon as it emptied, um, and and. The, the facility wasn't maintained. They literally did just um, <laughs> drop off and, and smash. And that combined with the the grass growing to an enormous length, yeah, it was it was quite a summer that one. So you you do certainly sympathise with with what's going on down there. And and it's hard to say, on the basis of that, but also on the basis of the way they're playing and, and the team they look. It's hard to say that they won't they won't be relegated this season. I think they are in they are in serious serious trouble. It set leads up for QPR away, which on paper was a a very good game um, QPR had lost 7 on the bounce uh, Leeds going there with a game in hand um, that was the game in hand looking to go back to the top of the table all money was on an away win really wasn't it and I think even at half time of that game all money was on an away win it hadn't been a spectacular first half but Leeds had controlled it they'd been thoroughly dominant they they dipped slightly towards the end just before the interval after Liam Cooper cut his, cut his eye and was off the pitch for about 6 or 7 minutes Um but the striking moment on that night, and I think you know this will this will be one of the I don't mean defining images at the end of the season, but it'll be one of the images people remember was of Bielsa on his haunches in outside the dressing room afterwards, staring at the ground, contemplating a one nil defeat. Um, he's a reflective guy at the best of times, and he's he's somebody who thinks a lot. He's something that takes it all very seriously. He's he's somebody who certainly takes defeat very seriously. But I don't think we've ever seen him look. I'm in fact. I'd, I don't think it's even open to debate. Never seen him look so deflated or so downcast as he was at the end of that game, and and you can certainly understand why. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only other sort of real emotion we've seen was the hug at Rotherham, wasn't it? I think that was the first time we all thought, bloody hell, there's a bit of reaction there from someone who sort of usually keeps his emotions in check. Obviously, West Brom as well. There was a big cry when out and punch and stuff when it when they scored the fourth, but. Just looking at the picture, the it was quite a sad picture, wasn't it? Just looking at it, thinking, ah, oh, season's finished, it's all doom and gloom. I mean, the the reaction to the defeat was obviously, I think, probably over the top, and I sort of felt a bit guilty of it as well, um, sort of putting too much pressure on that game. And, and like you say, when you actually analyse the fixture, Leeds had so many chances in that first half to sort of open the scoring, and it was one of those games where QPR just wanted anything to get themselves in front of on such a bad run. And I think sort of Bielsa, just the reaction of the the team going behind just wasn't good enough, and maybe that was the thing that that caused so much annoyance for him. But it was it was contrary to what he expects, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Because so often Leeds get on top of a game, dominate a game, and then ultimately grind it out. And I was discussing this with somebody afterwards and saying that obviously we just had a phone and one over West Brom, and and there were some striking results in the first month of the season. But if you take the larger part of the season as a whole. They are a team who control possession, they're a team who create plenty of chances, but they don't turn over other sides 3-0, 4-0, 5-0 regularly. It hasn't happened up until uh, this weekend just gone. And 
what you tend to see under Bielsa is a really set style of play, a really fixed um, fixed pattern of play, which more often than not, as it did against Bolton, as an example, gets the job done. And there haven't been many occasions where a game has been in the balance at half-time as it was, and Leeds have lost their way as badly as they did in, in sort of first 10, 15 minutes after half-time. That, I think, was the, the period that really did for them. QPR got a really, got really good performance from Luke Freeman in that period, which which certainly dictated everything. It was his goal, lovely finish. Um, but he started to just exert that little bit of class that, that Leeds were crying out for. But great chance for Stuart Dallas towards the end. Um, top save from Lumley to deny Bamford with the, the follow-up. Um, again, a chance Bamford should should probably have scored and, you know, in, in 100% sharpness, probably would have scored. And I, I, didn't feel, I didn't feel it was a desperate night. I just felt it was a, a night that, that kind of exposed them to... You know the teams around them: West Brom, Sheffield United, Norwich. It it, it lost control momentarily of the division um, and put them put them in a situation where they they absolutely had to avoid defeat to West Brom. But you kind of felt with Bristol City coming up midweek trip to Reading and then Sheffield United at home, it it did feel like a game they had to win as much for their own as much for their own mentality as anything else. Yeah, and it was because the defeat was sort of the first time that it then meant that the top two was out of Leeds' hands, wasn't it? And I think that was sort of the biggest reflection for a lot of fans was they, they sort of passed up this chance to go back top of the table with no one else playing, send a message out to the rest of the division, if not just Norwich and Sheffield United. And obviously, four or five days later, you can sit here in hindsight and say, oh, well, chalk that one off. But at the time, it was did feel like sort of a little bit of a a moment where you thought, is this the first sort of maybe big wobble we're going to see under Bielsa? And obviously, they responded magnificently that to that on Friday night but I think that was the overriding feeling afterwards was this, the the disappointment because of they've played so well so many times this season they sort of just fell into the trap of of getting bogged down in the second half and overplaying almost when they should have been hitting it I mean Douglas had a big chance as well after he came on so it wasn't like they weren't creating them but it was what Bielsa was going back to in his press conference afterwards wasn't it when he got annoyed about suggestions of burnout um, saying that it was just the they're just not clinical enough in front of goal, and obviously they've now put that put that one to bed. Bono was the narrative mm. afterwards, and and he, I don't think even he can deny that he was touchy about the questions that were being asked. I mean, the interesting thing about that specific question after the QPR game was that he was laughing to himself before the question that was being asked in English had even been finished, let alone before Lamrani had, had started translating it for him. And as we've we've come to learn, his English is clearly better than he lets on. And I think he understands an awful lot of what is being asked and um, before it comes through in, in Spanish. But he, he picked up immediately that he was basically being asked, Is your team about to blow up? You know, are, are they, and, and he will know because he he, he says if you, when you ask him about his track record, he always says I have a reputation for not winning trophies or I have a reputation for having won trophies a long time ago. Uh, so he's clearly aware of what of what, it, what the cliches are about him or, or what perhaps aspects, perhaps the more negative aspects of his reputation are. And he will know that it follows him around, this idea that where he goes, teams burn out. And that it, if, if, if you take that opinion and, and if you see it in that light, it happened at Bilbao, it happened at Marseille to an extent, ultimately at Newell's they, they didn't sustain what they've been doing in the the years when they've won two championships or, or three championships if you're a Newell's fan which they, they certainly feel that, that they did other Argentinian clubs to dispute whether it is two or three just because of the system of, of leagues over there but I, I've been thought about this a lot I, it, 
it kind of takes you back to something Guardiola said when he was asked about Bielsa earlier in the season and he was saying other others amongst us him for example Klopp have managed big clubs and when you manage big clubs you tend to win big prizes and he was making the point that Bielsa has never managed a, a club with the biggest budget or a club you know in, in Argentina he, he didn't have either of the Buenos Aires clubs he didn't have River Plate or, or Boca Juniors it was Newell's who had lost most of the players who'd won them silverware a couple of years earlier and, and everybody thought that was a, a rebuilding job and in the end he, he delivered two stroke three titles which is why he's so revered over there and if you go through Marseille and Bilbao and and okay he wasn't at Leo for very long but the same applies they're not serial title winners they're not serial trophy winners Marseille have got a fair number um, but you know they, they don't dominate the, the French league um, Bilbao I don't think have won the Spanish championship for nigh on 40 years so in a lot of respects and you could apply this to Leeds as well who are 15 years out of the Premier League I think that the cycle he's in, rather than a cycle of burnout, is a cycle of taking on sides who are asking a hell of a lot of him, taking on clubs who are wanting him to deliver what other people have been struggling to deliver for a long time. Um, and I did think that the the question about energy after QPR was fairly unfair. Poor performance, but I was with him really. As much as mental fatigue and everything else can, can play a part and can affect your decision-making, I didn't think the players looked particularly tired. I just thought they... they I just thought they had a bad night. Yeah, and I think so. I mean, that Bilbao have that Catalan role as well, don't they? About, yeah, they only sign uh, yeah. um, Basque players from the Basque That's region. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think it was a poor performance where they sort of collapsed physically. I think they were still creating chances. It was just one of those where a lot of decision making and a lot of players just had off nights. And I think that was sort of the key to the loss. It wasn't like they suddenly stopped running, stopped pressing, stopped creating stop chasing the ball you know it wasn't like they they suddenly had this drop off in, in sort of physical performance it was literally just one of those nights where you should probably look back at the performance and when you take it and analyse it there was sort of four or five sort of chances in the game where Leeds probably should have scored or at least tested the goalkeeper better so I think again like you say I'm probably with him as well as you in the not well obviously again obviously it's easy in hindsight having watched West Brom and having seen them play three three games in six days but I don't think it was that particular performance was sort of due to tiredness. No, I think there are other issues as well. He's been trying to blend Tyler Roberts into the number mm. ten role, and um, which I mean he was he was genuinely fantastic on Friday night, the best we've seen him play for for Leeds, but probably the best anyone has seen him play ever. It was against the club who sold him to Leeds West Brom. Um, the January before last uh, and they knew what they had on their hands I mean they knew he was a good player and the reason they sold him was because his contract was running out he was starting to get the impression that he wasn't he wasn't heading for any decent run of games down there and they were about to sign Daniel Sturridge who had the same agent and it was kind of agreed that if Sturridge was coming in and the pool of strikers was going to increase by one then Roberts, Roberts should go and, and so he did but even so, it's not his position. He he clearly thinks of himself as a number nine. Um, and despite that on Friday, I think it's probably still to be proven that Roberts is a, a long-term number 10, whether or not he can do that repeatedly and whether tighter games like we had down at West Brom will, will allow him to, to be quite as, as influential. And also, there have been you know, issues with Luke Ayling at right back. Um, I'm among the people who think that Cleek has had a def- definite drop-off going back to probably the start of November time. Um, and, and it always contributes, he's always there, always always making an effort, but hasn't been that kind of bright spark that he was early on. And and I guess with issues like that, and again, this goes back to the, 
the kind of thin squad that Bielsa has, it, it becomes very difficult to refresh the team if you need to, or it becomes very difficult to establish any continuity because clearly the plan was going to be for Kamar Roof to play at ten with Bamford in front of him, and that's lasted for all of two games before <laughs> the Roof's, way of the season. Yeah, before Roof's yeah. done his knee and and beginning a, a sort of six to eight week absence, so there is disruption there, and and I think again I always try not to forget that this is the bulk of a squad who finished 13th last yep. year and were miles, miles off the pace, miles off looking good enough to go up. And I think it's pretty unrealistic to expect that even if they do an automatic promotion this season, that it would be at a canter or that it would be without nights or days here and there where you you kind of worry that actually it's, it's not quite going to happen. Yeah, I think that sort of applies to the championship in general this year doesn't it there's, there's no there's no standout team we've said it every week haven't we but I think it applies more than anything to Leeds that it feels like Bielsa is getting performances out of a squad of players that's maybe a little bit above their station and has done for the last seven months and if he continues to do so for the next two months then it's going to result in something pretty incredible isn't it Um, but I don't think I mean you've just said there that this team finished what 13th last year and it has been a massive turnaround. Obviously, you put you start throwing into Bamford sort of the goals in that mix in the next sort of 10, 12 games, then maybe you're going to have something special. But yeah, you, you can't get too far ahead, can you? And it, like similar to what Chris Wilder's doing down at Sheffield United, created a real core group of, of players who know a system and know a style and, and play down to a tee when they can. So I just think Bielsa's done wonders to get Leeds where they are this season. And if it, if it finishes in trophy or if it finishes in tears it's, it's going to be remembered one way or the other isn't it so it feels um, I'm not just talking about the table here it feels like advantage Norwich to me at the moment they they are still turning it on regularly um, really impressive for them I thought to go to Millwall the day after Leeds had done that to West Brom and to win 3-1 down there that's difficult as we know difficult difficult ground but West Brom on Friday that that opening goal was it's fascinating really because West, West Brom had the kick off um, and it's the it's the fourth fastest goal in Leeds history. I think this was worked out by our good friend Andrew Dalton at LUFC Stats. If you want to get following on on Twitter, knows all the numbers, knows all these things. Um, fourth fastest behind Jermaine Wright um, against Burnley in two thousand and four. Um, two thousand four, I think it was two thousand and four. Mark Viduka against Charlton three years earlier, and Suleiman Dukara um, away at Ipswich um, four five years ago. Yeah. The Duke sandwich, well, <laughs> the middle of a sort of mediocre sandwich there. Um, but West Brom at the kickoff, it must be one of the fastest goals from the opposition kickoff that that you'll ever see. Given that you would expect a team like West Brom to be able to retain the ball for at least four or five seconds of that. But the crowd all around us, as 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 the ball was played forward, the crowd all around us reacted to the header from Cooper which just smashed the ball away from whoever, whichever West Brom player was underneath it and straight to Harrison and it wasn't that anybody was anticipating Leeds going up the field and scoring straight away but it was just it was almost like we said that Hernandez's goal set the tone Cooper's header seemed to set the tone miles outside the box just smashed into it and all of a sudden the, the crowd warmed to that um, but the the finish from Hernandez I mean he's I wonder if this is the best season of his career 
at 33 and it seems amazing to say that given that he's been at Valencia he's been in the Premier League with, with Swansea City but he's scored more goals now than he ever has anywhere else um, He's this is the best he's played in all the time he's been at Leeds and, and this is season number three for him I, I do think he's improved to the level I mean there were a lot of comparisons on Friday made to Gordon Strachan back in 1990 and they're totally totally different personalities I mean Strachan sometimes you think would to coin a phrase start fighting an empty house <laughs> um, Hernandez never says boo to a goose I mean he's the most placid nice friendly guy not to say Strachan isn't friendly but um, he's the most likeable guy Hernandez that you, you can deal with um, never never causes any problems but the influence of them and the, the comparative age and the, that level of experience combined with the ability to come up with big moments and big games which Hernandez did on, on Friday I, I think the comparison is a pretty valid one yeah, it always makes me laugh when Hernandez is a bit petulant on the pitch because when you meet yeah. him off the pitch, it, like you say, he's such a nice guy, but he's always like wag- wagging his finger and swearing at the referee. It's, and you're like, it's almost you? like a, a definite pointer of a referee who's having a bad day when yeah. even Hernandez is in the middle going, "Look, I can't take this anymore." Yeah, but yeah, it's just he's like a fine wine, isn't he? He he seems to be getting better with age. And what is it? Nearly twenty goals. He's had a direct involvement. In Nineteen. 19 yeah. yeah. So he's. 19 of 59 in the league which is, scored this season which so is thought. remarkable you know a remarkable record and it just shows sort of the quality that he has and the reliance almost that Leeds have on him to pop up in, in moments where they need something and they certainly needed something on Friday you mentioned Cooper's header there sort of with his Paddy Kisnorbo headband on went in full-blooded and maybe that was the sort of part of the reason because they needed to set the tone early in that game and that did and Obviously, we weren't we weren't to know what was going to happen fifteen seconds later after he won that header, but it took five sort of West Brom players out out of the the game immediately when Harrison collected the ball. But yeah, I think the the atmosphere almost needed it because of, we were all sat before, weren't we? Thinking it's a bit, it feels a bit tense, and the goal almost sort of released. Like you you mentioned the Look, celebration. Let's, at the start. let's be totally frank. None of us in the press room were in any way optimistic on Friday night. No, there absolutely was, not. With the exception of yeah. Neil Redfern, there was nobody in there who was who was sitting saying, I really fancy Leeds tonight. Every most of us were saying, don't really know what's gonna happen. Um but the mobbers <laughs> Leon Wobshaw, fair point, he did say to us in typical Wobbers form, don't worry, this lot of rubbish. And, and he said the same about Derby, actually, on the night that, that Leeds turned them over as well. So he's your man for, um, if, you're, if you're keen to, to dabble on the football, Wobbers is, is your man. Uh, but no, it was, it was tense before that. No, right, yeah. 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 Appre- apprehensive, right. I think, was the, was the word. But was, you mentioned the celebration when they scored, and it almost felt like four sides of the ground sort of released that tension that was sort of hanging over after that QPR result and that sort of just got leads up and away didn't it and they could play with a lot more freedom there was no sort of pressure on them to try and work something to get that first goal and then Bamford pops up with a, I mean I, I thought he'd actually wasted the chance after he took that extra touch um, and obviously in typical Bamford fashion that we've seen over the years slots that home and leads are off on the way but it was it just felt like that first goal sort of released all the tension from Ellen Road and it was. I mean, I can't remember sitting back and enjoying a, a game of football that Leeds have played for a long, long time like that one. Calvin Phillips is going to win the Player of the Year award. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And he, and he definitely should because this this sounds very unfair on Hernandez, but it is kind of, kind of a reflection of how good he is. Hernandez is doing what you expect Hernandez to do. And, you know, even though he's never played as well as this, we've been constantly impressed with him right the way through the season. I think with somebody like Phillips, 
his improvement and the way he's adapted has made Leeds a different team. Made them a, a specifically made them a better team. He's been one of the players who's elevated them from a, a pretty ordinary mid-table side last season to a team who, who could still win the title. Um, and it's one of those where you you almost hate you'd, you'd hate not to vote for Hernandez. But as I say, it's it's the it's the influence that hasn't been there before from Phillips, which is now there, which I think is gonna is is gonna edge it. But Blumenek, I mean. Cooper's been good this season. He's been he's been really good this season. Alioski on Friday night. I mean, if you dug through our old podcast, you'd find umpteen where we were moaning about Alioski where we want convinced with him, particularly as a winger. Um, as a left back, <laughs> he does seem to find his niche as a left back, doesn't he? And I, I wouldn't countenance playing Barry Douglas there at all at the moment. I think Alioski is Alioski is the one for now, and his running, the amount of distance he covered on. On Friday, I, I gave. I thought man of the match should have been Roberts. I thought he he was, he was almost impossible to play against throughout. But um, Alioski rounding it off with that goal again. Has he ever played better? Or to say, has he ever played better? Has he ever been more effective? No, I think that was probably his most influential game, and he deserved his goal at the end. I thought he sort of got his reward for even in the ninety fourth minute being inside the six yard box. Sort of summed up his game, didn't it? His his running. I think there was com- comparisons with the Duracell battery afterwards yeah. on Twitter, but it's not far wrong. Like his engine is is remarkable, and in an, and in that left back position, he sort of just suits running up and down that that wing, and it almost sort of helps having a Harrison in front of him because he doesn't have the responsibility of trying to beat a man when he first gets the ball. He has two or three options in front of him, and I really think that sort of helped him. I think the when the pressure's game. on him to to cross and cross consistently, yeah. it's a problem for him because that it is. His finesse in that situation is not is not great. Certainly not in the way of of other players. Um, West West Brom, I thought were well weird on Friday night. Seeing Dwight Gale on the left wing was as strange in the first minute as it was in in the last. And it it was hard not to think back to November when West Brom beat Leeds four one down down at the Hawthorns and to think how good Harvey Barnes was on on the left hand side and. That's definitely, that's definitely ripped a bit out of them. Out of them, him being recalled by Leicester in January. But um, yeah, Gale on the left, no mobility in midfield between Barry and and Jake Livermore, um, and and Harper, who's a, a young lad, but you know was was kind of all at sea and and weak on the flanks, particularly defensively as well. They they looked extremely ordinary and. There was this debate going on earlier in the season. I think it was started by our good friends at Talksport about whether Bielsa was bad for English football. And I was saying at the time that if um, if Darren Moore can't make more of a squad like this with, that has cost so much and, and has so much definite talent in it, it, it can't be any more advantageous for the Premier League to have him in it than it is to have somebody like Bielsa who's kind of making a silk purse out of you know a 13th placed South's ear last season. Um, I, I thought the, I thought the difference in the, the the impact of coaching on Friday night was was pretty glaring. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at West Brom's team on paper, and I know nothing is one on paper, but that that is a squad that should be walking this division, in my opinion, anyway. And when you see them sort of set out with not no real sort of plan or identity yeah. to deal with what Leeds were were gonna bring, everyone knows how Leeds play. Everyone's seen how Leeds play. I'm sure Darren Moore watched Leeds. Sweep Derby aside, if you like, last in January, didn't he? And they knew how they were going to set up, but they just had no answer for it. And all right, there was a few really good individual performances that sort of maybe stopped them, like Jansen on Rodriguez. He really isolated him, I thought, and obviously 
Alioski, Roberts, etc. But there was just no sort of discernible game plan that you thought this is a way they're going to get back into this, and they just didn't really ever threaten Leeds. I think the timing of the first goal was crucial as well, though, because it stopped them doing what Norwich did a well, few was, weeks earlier. Was it half? Was it after the second? I can't remember if it was after the second or first goal when there was a bit of a stop in play and. All of them got together in the centre circle and properly had a go at each other, didn't they? And you thought, right, you might get some response now, and it's got worse. Yeah, yeah. With the exception of the start of the second half, when there was just a little period in which we were all sat in the press box saying, just absolutely crucial not to concede here because one game, one goal, you know, potentially change everything. And if there's any player you expect to score against Leeds, it's it's Dwight Gale, but not out on the left wing where he did look completely lost and just never, never involved. Um, so. Since then, Norwich went away at Millwall, Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday inevitably draw 0-0 um, in the Sheffield derby, which just seems to be the way that game is going to be set forevermore. So the table looks, first place Norwich 69 points, second place Leeds 67, third place Sheffield United 65 and fourth place West Brom who are fairly cut adrift now on on 60. Um, it's, it's very much in Leeds' hands, isn't it? It's, it's more so in Norwich's hands um, and I have to say at this stage, it does feel like Norwich's title for the taking. I just think their results are better overall. They're they're probably playing more consistently overall. But from that shake-up, particularly the top three, you would say it is a three-horse race and quite honestly, anything could happen. Yeah, and I think Norwich at this stage will be looking at their gap to third, won't they? And with four points, that's sort of a decent-ish. I know there's still, what, 12 games to go, so they won't take anything for granted. And I'm sure West Brom are still sort of quietly thinking if we can get a three or four game win run going that they might be able to sneak second but you'd, you'd say probably not I mean five points is a big gap regardless and and you're talking about three teams that have played consistently well throughout the season so I think it's Norwich's for the taking like I, I agree with what you're saying and it'd be interesting to see I mean Leeds Sheffield United is it's not massive it's huge <laughs> Yeah, it feels like that. If it, it's not going to define it, but it could give a big incentive. It's not incentive. the end of the world. It's more important than yes. that. Yeah, <laughs> because Norwich are probably looking at that game as well, going, "Well, if that's a draw, and then they win that week, you know, it, there's loads of little, little permutations for everyone sort of involved it's that what, weekend." It's one of those strange games where Norwich might well end up being the big winners. Yeah, from it, I I still think it is. It's it's a vital vital match and it will obviously make a, a difference um, but I still feel it's almost too early in the season as yeah, ridiculous yeah. as that sounds for it to be decisive just because you've got you'll still have what eight seven eight games to go um, and I think both Leeds and Sheffield United will drop points during the run in this was the thing after the QPR game you know I I felt for a while now that, that West Brom's results have been too patchy for them to finish top two. I kept thinking they'll come together, it'll come together, they should get stronger after January. But even you know, even post Christmas, they've been very up and down and they haven't been reliable enough to, to get in the mix. And Sheffield United their form has been better than Leeds overall recently, but you know, they they still have the the tendency to throw in the odd poor result here and there they still have the tendency to do what they did down at Aston Villa which should have been a, a comfortable 3-0 win um, and Leeds obviously have been I guess since the turn of the year have been coming out on the wrong side of tight score lines far more often than they were um, prior to Christmas but are still there are still right in the mix um, and have have gone a lot further have gone on a lot longer this season than they did last year um, and, and are still considerably further forward than they were under Gary Monk two years ago in, in what felt like a really positive season as well Yeah absolutely and if uh, we said it before and we'll say it again but if you'd have handed any Leeds fan a two point cushion at this stage 
in the no, top two. Nobody wants to hear that. Everyone would have been on bloody hell. I'm not saying they shouldn't take advantage of this situation, but it is the perspective needed, isn't it? I've seen this over the weekend where people are saying, if you said to Liverpool fans, with X number of games to go, you'd have been yeah, one Liverpool. point behind City, and um, and in contention, they just snapped your hand off. And I'm thinking, yeah, but if you'd said to them five weeks ago when they were eight points seven clear, point clear yeah. you'll be um, a point behind, and then they'd have been rather, rather less pleased. And it's got to the point now, isn't it, where... Everybody, everybody wants to finish top two. All of those three clubs. Sheffield United getting into the playoffs would be a big achievement for them. And, and getting into the playoffs, finishing third and being in contention for the top two, I think would be Chris Wilder punching miles above the weight of, of that squad down there. And, and likewise, if they if they were to go up automatically. But there's no way in the world that they'll want to, to hit the playoffs from this point. And the same goes for Leeds and Norwich. When you're in, in this position, there's only one way to finish it. And in, yeah, in a yeah. lot of respects, it, it brings the pressure on if you don't quite make it. No, absolutely. And what I was saying there, it doesn't that, that doesn't mean that Leeds shouldn't be thinking they need to take advantage. Like they're just happy to be there. That's not what I mean. That's not the attitude that Leeds should have. Sit around and sing kumbaya. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like oh wow, we're yeah. in this position, but look how lucky we are. No, no, no. You need to go and sort of take it by the scruff of the neck. Now it's yours to to win it. Like you, you can't be thinking that anyone's going to do you any favors. You've got twelve games to go. You go and win twelve, and you you're in the you're in the Premier League next year. It's in your hands. So it's absolutely, you know, it's it. Leeds have to be focusing on themselves. They can't be sort of going, oh, we're really lucky to be here. Look how good Bielsa is to get us here. Even if we don't get it, never mind. You know, that's not the attitude. This is this is in Leeds's hands now. They've got to go out and win it. I was worried you were going to start saying it's the taking part that counts. Absolutely everyone. not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely this isn't any under twelves football. I keep trying to explain this to me, father. He's not a not a massive football man. Um, although he follows. Leeds results religiously and, and he, he always tries well, to say well you know in football you win lose or draw and you do but um, the reality is in, when well, you get I, beat you throw chairs around everyone rem- I, don't know, I don't know what's the best way to explain everyone remembers the Gary Monk season of just missing out yeah but I don't like there was a lot of positives in that season but that's the overriding factor isn't it well they tanked towards the end of the season and that was it and this season under Bielsa is going to be remembered for years and years to come no matter what happens but the overriding factor of it just coming so close and then a crash in the playoffs is going to be horrible isn't it if it happens it's, it, the positive seasons in in a short term sense or at least there are positive parts of the season in a, in a short term sense but I mean to to go back to 2006 when they made the, the playoff final under Kevin Blackwell what foundations were actually built in that season and what was the lasting effect of it? The answer is nothing because they got relegated the following year and it all fell apart. Um, different, different case with Grayson. Um, they made the playoffs under him the season McAllister got sacked and then obviously went on to win promotion the following year and went very close to the year after that. But even the year in which they finished seventh in the championship, you could have said, well, that's a, that is what people would call, in, in cliche terms, a platform to get better. And ultimately, again, he'd gone by the end of January the following season, and they were they were a country mile away um, as as Warnock finished that year off, and then you know the whole thing fell apart with Bates selling to GFH, GFH um, selling to Chilino, and just that massive drift through six or seven years. And with with Gary Monk, the there are certain aspects to it which um, which leads are still kind of feeding off now. There was the signing of Hernandez. Uh, there was obviously Janssen's arrival from Torino and he's been an extremely big player Kamar Roof came in in that summer but in terms of a pattern of play and the the team as a whole it's completely different now isn't yeah. it it's completely different and it's hard to say with the exception of just that injection of enthusiasm and that injection of 
optimism that hadn't been around the club for ages. It's hard to say that anything that's happening now is has been benefited by the fact that they went so close that year. I'm with you. I think everything that everybody will remember one thing about that season, and it's the fact that it went horribly wrong in the last five games. And that's that's not what you want this season to be reflected on, is it? And this is the time now if you're going to make sure that this team is remembered for years and years in 30, 50, 100 years, you know, no matter what the club does, this is going to be the team that wants to, to achieve something that this club has craved for 15 years since they came out of the Premier League. So to go and do it now, it's in their hands. You can't be messing around thinking, oh, well, at least we're happy to be here. No, no, that's not the attitude you've got to have. You've got to go and try and win it, haven't you? And and that this is where teams that you know make history sort of step up to the plate, don't they? And who better than to have someone like Bielsa in charge to try and get you there? What you what you're saying is that if Bielsa wants a statue with his Sainsbury's bag for life, I'll probably get it. He, on needs to, he needs to he needs to finish this off. Yes. What's he? We should do a Bielsa watch. What's he been spotted with this week? You know, with Ashley Cole watch that we still yet to do, even though he got subbed off at half time after losing. After being 4-0 down at Villa Park. Well, actually, we're going to go on to Ashley Cole Watch shortly because we promised to do one every week and we haven't um, we haven't done one every it's been week. Up and so, down. We'll, so we're, we're going to do that. Um, Bielsa Watch. I mean, I don't know if it's as exciting every week as carrying a Sainsbury's bag for life. Um, I mean, apparently, we... I come to our esteemed org in the Yorkshire Evening Post, it was evidence of his environmental credentials. Or oh, the last time I went into Sainsbury's, you don't have any choice. If you want a bag, you've got to... Um, You've got to buy a bag for life, ten pence. Also, uh, what, but if you don't want a bag, then you've got to try and carry. I was going to say, how else Kansas is he going to get his stuff yeah. out? As is talented just, as he is, is he just going to walk along Weatherby High Street? Is, I don't think he has three hands or more. I was going to yeah. say, he's going to walk around Weatherby High Street balancing grapes on his head. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to get home. But anyway, some good publicity if for the there. They'll be. I think we should probably go out to football. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> delighted. Uh, right, okay. Ashley Cole watch. Um, an inter- interesting derby today because the the news in the Daily Mail is that um, Mel Morris down there is thinking of selling the club, losing three million pounds a month. They report, although the Mail were reporting um, a couple of weeks back that Radrazani was in their words all in this season and would be going at the end of the end of the year if um, if leads don't go up. We, we haven't touched on that. Maybe we should actually. Um, Radrazani denied it. Came, he replied to that on Twitter, didn't he? And and implied that 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 wouldn't be happening. And and Angus Kinnear said the same in the program on on Saturday, uh, on Friday, sorry, before the West Brom game, saying that people shouldn't be questioning Radrazani's commitment. Um, I've nothing to say that he will sell at the end of the season, but it it has to be said that he. Um, I'm repeating myself here really but every time you interview him he always says we lose money at this club I cannot run a club that are losing money indefinitely that's why he talked about a sort of five year cycle a five year plan when, when he first came in um, and, and said if I can't do it then you know if we're still in the championship we're still losing cash then, then my time will, will be up and I don't think there's I don't think there's any question at all that it's a challenge for him the financial situation at least as much as they have income from, from all sorts of areas and much as they'll have very good gate receipts this season they still do lose cash and that's why you see Vieira getting sold that's why the the why the, the net spend on players has not been particularly high at all uh, so in terms of his commitment I, I would suspect that it won't be it won't run for too much longer if they're in the championship by his own admission and the fact that the 49ers um, investment arm came on board last summer, paid about £10 million for roughly sort of 12-13% stake. Again, it's it's diluting the shareholding slightly, it's bringing in, in money from elsewhere. I, I don't think, 
you know, I, I think my gut feeling is that this will end at some stage relatively soon if they're not a Premier League club. If they are a Premier League club, then I don't see any reason why anybody would want to, to let them go. But digressing a bit there. As I was say, that was a really good Ash Cole watch. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, aye, right, OK. Um, but but Derby, um, again, I was going off on a bit of a tangent there. Sounds like they they. They the do, effect they of they do lose Cole a lot of money. Is, that is, that, is that you go out of business, no basically, is what happens. Um, so you well, sign you Ashley could, Cole, you, you lose all your money. But you're already in trouble with his lawyers, <laughs> so just just be careful here. But um, No, they do they do lose stacks of cash down, down at that, but they have thrown a lot of money at them, at their squad over the years. So that is what the Daily Mail are saying, that he he might he might sell up. Anyway, Ashley Cole, off the top of your head, do you know his record? Don't look. In what, the championship? Uh, with Derby County. Granted, some as substitute appearances are not played the whole um, game, but I'm gonna guess he's played four times. Close. Five times. Played five. Scored one in the FA Cup. Lost four. Lost four. <laughs> Goals for three. Goals against eight. Um, substituted at halftime at Aston Villa with Derby. Um, four nil. Natalie behind four nil. Yeah, it's going well. It's going well. You did call this. I'm not saying anything. I can't remember what you did say about him. Did you not say washed up player from the M- MLS or something like <laughs> Having that? Having a positive impact. Yeah, something something like that. Um, well, you've just backed me up there, so it's fine. Yeah, it hasn't gone... Um, it so, hasn't he's, what, sorry, well. he's played four times or four times? He's he's had five appearances. Um, Derby lost four was of those winning, games. So he's, he's been part of one... The the win single win was on his debut um, against Hull City. I think he was on for about a minute well, of, not, of normal time. Clearly, yeah. if he'd been on longer, they'd have lost that game. Yeah. Yeah, Agent Cole working for somebody, <laughs> Bristol City potentially, which in a seamless link is where we are, where we are this weekend. Sixth in the table, um, very very streaky under Lee Johnson, them aren't they? Always they yeah. always seem to go on long runs of victories, um, concerted periods of poor form, up and down, up and down. This um, this run they've had since um, since January, which has has halted slightly in the last three or four games has really got them back in contention. They're sixth on 54 points, which I think, given there's a 13-point gap to Leeds in second, I think probably rules them out of the picture for, for automatic promotion. I can't can't see them covering that ground. But um, they're right in the mix, and the Steve Lansdowne derby could be could be quite a biggie at the weekend. <laughs> Steve Lansdowne derby. Well, it is, isn't it? The man who was at the forefront of calling for a... Points, a points deduction. deduction for Leeds United. Yeah, thirty-point point points deduction. Nothing please, about yeah. it, and simply letting him say what he wants while the investigation going on. I don't know if we touched on this actually, but it was quite interesting that um, Kinnear said in the the program before the Bolton game that Leeds had been asked by the EFL if they wanted to make complaints about formal complaints about some of what had been said and done during the the Spygate. Uh, investigation obviously leads to a fine two hundred thousand pounds for their part in it, but the club were unhappy with things that were said by Lampard, um, Stuart Webber, the director of football down at Norwich, Lansdowne, obviously at Bristol City, um, and in the end, Leeds decided not to. But it 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 was a pretty bitter and twisted process well, of which Lansdowne was very much at the forefront of it, with the exception of Derby. I mean, he was, you know, he was very much back Lam- in the Lampard does analysis too, you know. Four 0 down at the weekend. But so you're talking Dean, about so is Dean Saunders at Wrexham. <laughs> we'll go on to your talk sport appearance. Two but students in a laptop. You take it. You, I mean, you're going back to a serious point. Steve Lansdowne. You talk about bad faith. That falls under bad faith, doesn't it? It's just absolute hypocrisy, right, right and centre, isn't it? 
good atmosphere down there but she be a good game as well they're, they're a decent side yeah and up and down like you say under Lee Johnson it, it, you, I mean, you were looking at the fixtures before we, or the results before we come on I should say like the winning streaks and then the poor run of form are so weird aren't they that I just don't I just can't understand how he manages it like they go on games of seven straight victories and then have like eight without a win or eight with one win you know it's really odd and I just don't know what he does maybe it's something in the water at the training ground but really really odd always seems to get it together at the points where you know the, the walls are closing in mm. a little bit and then when they do get well, it together it, it just takes over nicely it was definitely a bit prickly after the game that they got beat at Ellen Road wasn't he in the press conference and I know they had a man sent off and they were well in that game until that point mm. but he was a bit prickly and a bit under pressure at that point wasn't he and then they obviously went on this crazy winning streak and yeah he sort of relieved it but yeah really odd odd run of form I was going to call this a big week, but it's not really any bigger than Bolton QPR and um, <laughs> West Brom in the space Every of seven days. But it, it, it is. And so Bristol City away on Saturday, Reading away on Tuesday. God knows what the highways agency are going to do to us between those two trips. But immensely looking forward to it. Um, get my Prodigy CDs out again for the. Oh, such for, a shame, isn't it? For Tuesday night when they detour us through Melton Mowbray at three in the morning. Um, Keith Flint will see you through. Aye, the mighty Keith Flint. Yeah, sadly missed. Still, those CDs have seen us home many, a, many a, a long trip. Uh, but it's again, table could move a, a hell of a lot in the next, uh, in, in the next uh, sort of seven, seven to ten days. You, you get the feeling that Leeds and Sheffield United are going to go punch for punch through the next two games, and, and we'll be in much the same position. Um, I think Sheffield United have got Rotherham followed by Brentford, both games at home, and that come come the game at Ellen Road the two teams meet uh, it's going to be set up in exactly the same way that West Brom was set up in exactly the same way as Norwich was a few weeks ago I mean, terrific matches actually great fixes yeah and it's got a it's mouth watering isn't it as you would probably try and build up as but again it's just I mean we, we said a bit before it's not going to be massively crucial in terms of who comes in the top two but it could give some serious momentum to one of the teams who, if, if in either side can win it so looking forward to that one but Two tricky away games before that. I say tricky. Reading shouldn't be, but the Lewis Baker derby. Yeah, there's always somebody derby, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> he's guaranteed to score in that game, one hundred percent. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Absolutely no <laughs> chance. Come on, I'm... mind you. Do you know? I was at I was at a do in London last week, and I uh, bumped into a Huddersfield fan who I rashly said to you, I I I can up twenty quid says Huddersfield will not win another game before the end of the season. Later. And what did they do the following night? Ninety first minute. But I'm telling you now, there's no chance Lewis Baker will score in that game. No chance. Did I would, he, did I, would he... I was about to say I bet you a fiver, but even I don't believe it that much. Did he at any stage look like scoring for Leeds ever? Yeah, he hit a free kick to about six inches past the post at Brentford, didn't he? And that was it. That was literally his first oh, yeah. touch. Aha! Yeah. <laughs> Six inches is a big difference. I'm telling you now, he did. He did. Um, he did set up that goal in the, the FA Cup game at QPR. Um, thanks to thanks to the goalkeeper. That but his, no, that was his goodbye parting gift, wasn't it? No, look, you can serve me humble pie if um, if this happens next week because oh, I, I don't want it to happen. Uh, I'm I think just saying, um, in the most Leeds United thing ever, it will happen. Yeah, not this time. If Dwight Gale isn't scoring against Leeds, no way Lewis Baker. Will Lewis Baker be on the left wing? Probably not. Therefore, given the, given the way Reading have been going on this season, probably will be. We, I think, we'll be back after the Reading game. I don't think we'll be squeezing a podcast in on um, on Monday, but um, Wednesday or Thursday, we'll yeah, we'll be back to have a look at what's gone on over this weekend and to talk in depth about Sheffield United at home, which could could potentially, with so few games to go, be the defining moment 
who knows? Even um, though we just spent an hour saying that it, how it wasn't. absolutely wasn't going to be, and there were games to go. But this is the sort of quality that uh, you've come to expect from us. But anyway, thanks for persevering, and thanks for sticking with us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Uh,